Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Smart Cities Chronicles podcast, your podcast for everything Smart Cities action, investment, and outcomes. My name is Adam Beck, your host of the Chronicles, and my day job is Executive Director at the Smart Cities Council for our Australia and New Zealand region, and excited to bring you our last podcast episode for the year, episode 85, and we're going to end on a bit of a high and discuss some uh uh, some projects and processes recently experienced by the Smart Cities Council associated with our 2020 Australian New Zealand Smart Cities Awards. And joining me for this conversation is our jury chair, Meredith Hodgman, with the Internet of Things Alliance Australia. Meredith, thanks for joining us. How are you? Hi, Adam. Uh, thanks for having me. 85 podcasts. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you so much. It feels like about 185, but uh, I'll, I'll stick with 85. Um, so, uh, Meredith, I mean, w w what a year generally, not just for the Smart Cities sort of uh, agenda. Um, we, uh, as I mentioned in the introduction, hosted our... Smart Cities Awards just a couple of weeks ago. Um, we were very fortunate enough to have the services of yourself as our uh, jury chair. Um, not an easy task given sort of not only the quantity of nominations and submissions that we had this year, but also the quality and the diversity that came through. Um, as jury chair, can I start with just getting a couple of uh, opening comments from you? You have participated in all of our three awards programs now. Um, at a high level, how did you find the 2020 awards experience in what has been a challenging year? Adam, I have to confess that the awards are always my highlight of the year <laughs> um, because they give us the chance to shine some light on the people who haven't necessarily been getting attention, um, but also because we come together as a community. So after the year that everybody just went through, um, this year I think it was definitely more important than ever before. Um, my background's in public service and I've said a few times now I don't think that there's a year to be more proud to be in the public service than this year you know many of the smart city projects that we work with and work across are run and fueled entirely by our tireless public sector so it was a an honor um, and it was a, a lot of fun you know I really relished the opportunity that we took this year to change it up a little bit and the lessons learned from three years of doing this collectively now, you know, it's um, it's an annual event. We can improve every year. Uh, absolutely. And, of course, um, this year we did sort of shake things up a little bit. Um, for our listeners, the past two years of the awards program has been one that um, is probably more traditional where uh, applicants would sort of, you know, submit um, a, a sort of documented response to the relevant um, evaluation criteria associated with relevant categories of awards. Our past two years have had, I think, in the order of like 12 to 15 categories. And, um, and, and this year, we really shrunk those um, categories down to uh, provide a little bit more focus. Um, and we also um, sort of, you know, really shook up the the actual nomination process a, a little bit. We um, 
we allowed both um, self-nomination, but also nomination of projects and individuals from from peers. And I think Meredith, um, it kind of really speaks to to your point that you made just before around um, really trying to shine a light on and provide greater opportunity for those probably that wouldn't normally put their hand up, you know, and, and are doing really great work behind the scenes that would would sort of not necessarily come forward uh, for an awards scheme. And it was really nice to sort of see uh, peers nominate their peers for what was some and, and is continuing to be some extraordinary work. Did you feel the same way with that new process this year? Yeah, we had quite a few changes this year, which I thought added an interesting context, if you will, um, to the proceedings, um, took on some feedback, of course, from last year's applicants around the different types of award categories that were in there and um, responded to the, the current context in some of the award categories, but also the additional inclusion of um, a new process in place to foster diversity and inclusion in the shortlisted applicants, so a two-phased approach that we took to the recruitment was really interesting. Um, and of course, you know, you look around the world at, in October and it's award season and, and everybody's doing them um, and everybody does them very differently. So I think that by making these incremental changes, it's a really good indicator that what the Smart Cities Council are doing uh, and indeed what the Australian sector is doing is something that is, um, you know, it's reputable and it's improving. It's, it's a real professional body. And from a sector that really spent many years trying to sort of say that we were a sector, that's a really important thing to note, that it's always been a litmus test of the maturity of our sector. Yeah, and and let's um, let, let, let's kick off there. We, we've got some points that we want to sort of work through together uh, to, to share um, somewhat of a debrief with our listeners. Um, and, and, and let's talk about quality of projects and how that, what, how that has improved. Um, I remember when I sort of downloaded and exported all of the nominations sort of at five past 5 p.m. on the closing day, um, I was just blown away. Like over 90 uh, applications, nominations um, across those sort of five key categories. Um, and uh, not only a diversity, because in previous years we've sort of from time to time seen you know, multiple submissions from sort of the same solution. So for me, the, the, the diversity was incredible this year. Um, but just reading those nominations, you know, I, I I was just reading one after the other of good quality projects embracing technology and data as an as an enabler for doing things better, simpler, more sustainable, more efficient. Um, what's your take on the quality of projects this year? I felt like this year was the first year that we really sort of came to fruition, if you will. Um, in the past, we've talked about the importance of submitting projects, not necessarily just for their outcomes. We've, talked, we've, um, we've afforded quite a lot of awards to projects in the design phase, a lot of projects to, a lot of awards to projects in the implementation phase. But this year, we really just were, were swept over with projects in actually not just um, iterating, but sorry, not just having the ROI, but also have iterating on that ROI. So, um, 
that was a, a really great place to be. And I think that a lot of people felt more confident to submit because of that. We've seen a lot of reluctance in the past, you know, um, I, I can't possibly submit this project. We haven't had any outcomes yet. But actually when you're learning from something and, and when you're designing something, there is excellence in the design and there's excellence in that stakeholder engagement, et cetera, as well. So I've always relished the early phase projects that were submitted, but it was a real joy to see so many submitted this year because I think it reflects that confidence um, that you know a lot of people felt about their own work um, and I also was really impressed to see that it, it, they didn't just straight away sit there and say yes our projects delivering outcomes they instantly took the, the data and the insights from their projects and they instantly started iterating them which is really what they were all designed to do in the first place you know a smart city project isn't going to be static um, so that was just a real confidence booster in what's happening um, domestically in the market, but what's happening also in terms of the government um, stimulus packages that are going around and, and a general sort of community focus on delivering essential services. So, yeah, that was really really uplifting. Um, for, for our listeners um, that weren't able to attend the awards reception or haven't seen the outcomes, um, we had categories that related to policy leadership, data leadership, uh, future of place. Uh, we had an impact award. Uh, we had smart cities leader award. We had leadership city, and then we had um, the SDG uh, action award around the sustainable development goals. Meredith, I'd like to put you on the spot. This may be a tough question, but um was there a particular category that kind of really excited you when you looked at what came through? Was there a particular category that you felt government and industry had really stepped up to and, and, and really put forward some, some great quality projects? Definitely. So as we touched on earlier, one of the feedback or one of the things that we considered when we designed this year's program was some of the categories that weren't perhaps as popular last year. And, you know, we massaged the categories quite a lot. So I won't say it was in direct response to the reality that in the past years, we've had a really low application rate in the environment award category. Um, but, you know, as, as you know, we cut the environment category this year. Um, and we, we had an impact category. So the, and the criteria around that impact category was pretty broad um, and, and written so that environmental awards could apply in there. Because, of course, you know, if you're making an impact on the environment, that's that's what we really want to see. But the we just weren't prepared for how many high caliber applications we were going to get in that particular category. So I think to answer your question, Adam, the award that I was most excited about was actually the SDG award because we stood back and we had a look at all of the nominations and we realized that there was just so many that were related specifically to COVID, in, to be honest, around impact that there was a risk of the environmental awards not being heard over the, the roar of response, you know, the quite appropriate responses. So, um, yeah, even though it might not have been planned, to be able to sort of reflect on that as a jury and to go, actually, you know what, we need to create a new place to recognise the monumental efforts that have still managed to happen in the environment sector, despite the focus on COVID this year, was really wonderful. Because 
I mean, realistically speaking, local governments around Australia are so focused on delivering the essential services and responding to the vulnerable communities that in many instances, unless the service is legislated responsibility or unless there's a, a very specific problem that the community had that is absolutely burning, uh, most of the budget all went to responding to this, you know, un and you know to, to the pandemic mm. um so the councils that actually still managed to run maintain and, and grow huge mm. environmental programs i just felt like they really did need to be called out um i think it's it's pretty well established now of course that we need to recover green and bounce back green and all the rest whatever um label you might like to give that but you know you can say that but really earmarking funds and allowing to have resources on environmental projects in this climate is is nothing short of applause worthy yeah uh, absolutely that was one of my sort of favorite categories as well um that sdg action award uh, of course the winner was city of canterbury bankstown with their closing the loop project and we had a very tight sort of second and, and highly committed come in with uh, the city of Melville over in Western Australia with their smart grid project. Now, Meredith, both of these projects um, been going for some time, but um, very, very much sort of importantly behind the scenes, um, co-funded by uh, the Australian government through the smart cities and suburbs program. Um, and, here, you know, this is where I'd like to get some some comments and reactions and thoughts from you. You know, we sort of wind back to 2016, mid-2016, um, the then Prime Minister um, launches Australia's Smart Cities Plan. What comes, you know, very, very, very swiftly behind that is uh, a $50 million co-funding program uh, that saw 80-plus uh, local authorities across Australia of all shapes and sizes and geographies um, uh, get co-funded to deploy um, solutions and approaches and technologies to all sorts of different urban and, and non-urban challenges. Um, we really saw some of those early pilots and those projects that got sort of funded many years back really starting to come through the pipeline, start to grow, mature. Um, what, what, what does that sort of say? What, what are your observations sort of, you know, looking back and sort of looking forward and, and how, I mean, I mean let, let, let's be honest, you're, you're a bit of a, a policy nerd at times and, you know, you, you've worked in federal government in the past. You know, th these are really important sort of levers and, and and conditions that are put in place to grow a marketplace, aren't they? How, how would you sort of describe that Smart Cities and Suburbs program and, and what it sort of gave us in, in our sort of pool of applicants this year? Yeah, Adam, it's certainly a really interesting reflection point for the Smart Cities and Suburbs program. Uh, Prime, former Prime Minister Turnbull launched that program quite some time ago. And, you know, you could take it in a couple of different ways. And, um, you know, here we are, we know with confidence that the program doesn't have funding looking forward. Uh, we know with confidence that large portions of the post-COVID economic recovery spend is funneled directly at the infrastructure sector. 
And we've known for quite some time, really, that smart cities projects at the end of the day are, are, are infrastructure projects. They're, the ROI on our projects isn't immediate. And therefore, it's never been particularly easy to mount a very good case in some instances uh, without that burning bridge. But we are at the point now where we could actually have a look at what kind of ROI comes out of a government stimulus if you will or a policy like this where that money was funded into you know using digital technology to enhance the efficiency of the variety of services and how does that improve the value for money for the Australian public um, and you know I say that both from the lens of actually going and measuring and, and having a look at the smart cities and suburbs program from a policy lens and being like what were the outcomes but I also say that from the perspective of is the infrastructure in stimulus that we have going out now appropriately utilizing digital technology is it addressing the productivity issues that we have in the construction sector is it utilizing digital technology to ensure that some of our most vulnerable sectors of the community are also brought along that ride or that the data that comes from those projects is distributed equitably etc so i guess in response to your question um, we now have enough projects coming out of the smart cities and suburbs program to be able to look back and to you know put some frameworks really around how we might evaluate some of that government uh, program work um, and I, I do think that they should we should really take a moment to reflect and be and you know recognize what that program did for Australia um, there were some tongue-in-cheek comments for some time about how you know the proliferation of smart city strategies across Australia really came from that program as as you know so in in the sense that the policies themselves were reactive instead of necessarily there beforehand but it was a remarkable way to, to do that to stimulate an entire country into thinking about how we might better deliver services throughout through our cities um, so realistically speaking I think that when we have a look at the award-winning projects that came through this year that it must have gone from perhaps two or three over the past two rounds of years to this year, I would hazard a guess that a good 30 to 40% of applicants mentioned the Smart Cities and Suburbs program, um, whether or not some applicants potentially didn't even um, note that they were a, a grant recipient. So I like to think of the awards as a really good way of congratulating the efforts that the federal government did do. Um, and I do think that three years for, for a return on investment in infrastructure project is actually pretty quick. So, you know, I would hope that people can be buoyed by that experience. Yeah, I, I'm just scanning the, the list of our finalists as you were speaking there, Meredith, and, you know, one in two, one in three of our finalists certainly were part of that program. So um, definitely, definitely sort of confirming your, your observations there. Um, I want to, I want to pick up uh, and continue on um, a, a point that you raised there around maturity and growing the market, growing the maturity um, and the, the original sort of spurring of the proliferation of smart city strategies. Let's, um, let's sort of go, go for a moment to the area and idea of sort of, is it time to refresh? Uh, is it time to renew um, those those cities that that have those strategies in place? You know, some of them have had them in place now for for many years. Um, what sense have you got to to the idea of um, 
is, is it time given our level of maturity now that we're feeling confident about, is it time to, to, to sort of look back and refresh those? Is, is it time, dare I say it for scaling and replication and, you know, growing bigger and being bolder? What, what, what's your take on that idea of, you know, maybe it's time for a review of our smart city strategy strategies, given where, where we're at and what we've achieved. Absolutely, Adam. I think in 2018, there were, we hit the point where there were over 30 smart city strategies at the local government level in Australia. Mm -hmm. And I would say from my humble perspective that unless your smart city strategy is principles-based, i.e. it's designed to be dynamic, it's designed to, to evolve and you have action plans that sit underneath it, it is now more than time for people to be reconsidering their smart city strategies. The technologies evolved, the capability that the capacity of the of employees actually administering these have, have evolved, um, but also so as the needs of the community. Um, and as we mentioned before, now most of these smart city strategies really should be providing data-based evidence as to what's going on in these communities and the jurisdictions and on the, the tactical problems that they're challenging. And if they're not taking those insights and iterating and evolving them, they're getting left behind. Um, and it doesn't take a lot really to do an update and a refresh. It takes doing a market scan again and, and having a look at how other people are doing the refresh and, and perhaps having a look at where your efficiencies are. But I think in this climate, most importantly, it's having a look at how can the smart city unit help the city council as a whole deliver their services across across the board, rather than acting in silos. How could the smart city team actually be helping the different parts of the city work, come together as a whole as a part of their digital transformation? Mm. I um, on that point of data and ROI and and value generated benefit delivered, I'm. Um, I, I'm really kind of excited, but also looking forward to what we might potentially see in another 12 months, for example, in the impact award category. Um, I can, I can sort of only imagine what, uh, what sort of uh, additional maturity and impact we will be able to demonstrate by then. Um, so Gosh, Adam, after the year we've just had, um, I'm hoping for a calm year. <laughs> well, I, I know, I know. I, um, I, I, I suppose my, my question maybe, Meredith, around this, this next point I want to raise and, you know, somewhat of an important one for you as, as jury chair as well. Um, you know, I've participated in different award schemes. So have you, um, you know, I, I don't, and the Smart Cities Council don't sit in and have no involvement in the evaluation process, um, but I do get the chance to sort of listen and look in and take notes. Um, you know, my observation is that it's a pretty rigorous process, our Smart Cities Awards program. There have been times where I've gone, oh, gee, you know, are we too tough? Are we too rigorous? What would your... What would your views be around this particular award scheme? I mean, um, you know, we're obviously trying to uh, promote, you know, excellence and, and reward leadership. Do you have views around our program at the Smart Cities Council, you know, as an independent chair and, you know, what, 
what you think going forward would be a relative level of robustness and comprehensiveness that needs to be either improved or maintained or were too hard? What are your views on that topic? Look, Adam, I take a fairly firm view that awards aren't beauty contests mm. and that as much as they do provide a very lovely avenue for PR and for acknowledgement, um, more importantly, for, from my perspective, they also help us to do the benchmarking work, to understand what is the best in this category, what is the best in the this nation and, and indeed New Zealand, I can't forget them. Um, it's it's a credibility question. It's a um, integrity question. And if we want to be able to talk about the maturity of smart city development, um, indeed globally, we actually have to have a fairly rigorous look at the way that we are comparing what is essentially apples and oranges across the board. Um, and yes, I'm an independent chair, um, but I do think that the policies and the frameworks and the procedures outlined by the Smart Cities Council do provide that framework to, to view some of these projects in a little bit or to compare some of these projects a little bit. So, you know, on the one hand, we might be comparing, um, you know, improvements for elderly versus waste improvements, but we have the values of the Smart Cities Council. We have the various frameworks and the guidelines and we have the ISO standards. And so we're constantly looking for the projects and the initiatives that are using the best practice benchmarks like that to be able to ensure that we are taking things seriously and you know I'm probably a little bit harsh in this space I know some people are a little bit more ge generous um, but I think it means more when you win an award after it's been through such a rigorous process um, and I probably wouldn't mind if, if, if you don't mind Adam just mentioning also um, one of the things that we use, one of the tools that we use this year to do that sort of process was a tool that was released this year by the Victorian Public Sector Commission around diversity and inclusion. Um, and it wasn't, the tool was designed primarily to help recruiters ensure that the shortlist, it was diverse and inclusive. So this year we didn't have a category just for diversity. Instead, we made sure that 50% of the people who were shortlisted were diverse. And we did that using a really fantastic framework that was launched by the Victorian Public Sector Commission. Did we get it perfect? Probably not. Um, is it a work in progress? Yes, it is. And will we commit to that every year? Yes, we will. Um, but I would implore people to be constantly looking at, at the different types of frameworks and best practice that come out and to be looking at how you can improve your work like that. Because there are, are tools out there for that reason. And those are the things that will be a vehicle for success. I think um, uh, I think that has been a, a huge leap forward this year in our process and also the quality of applications, um, and is uh, is certainly something that will be um, baked into uh, all of the uh, awards. Um, schemes going forward that we do run. So that was a, a fantastic sort of addition, and appreciate your your guidance on that. Um, so, so Meredith, on that topic of improving, um, it, it's always uh, an interesting exercise to reflect at the end of our annual awards scheme, um, reflect and sort of ask, you know, probing questions around, hmm, you know, why, why, 
why didn't this project nominate that we we knew was excellent? Um, you know, why why was this project that did nominate kind of not really representing themselves as as well as they could in in responding to the evaluation criteria? So, you know, there's always there's always that um, challenging but important process of sort of trying to um, trying to work out how industry can lift its game, I suppose, in terms of the quality of submissions that that come in because our independent jury and the process that we go through is we assess what is submitted and what's written on paper. Um, and, and sometimes uh, messages uh, don't necessarily come through clearly. So can we can we sort of quickly touch on on, on the issue around, you know, the, the quality and the level of professionalism uh, with some of the applications and how we might, uh, as, as policymakers and practitioners and, and the supply side, step up our game in, in that regard. Um, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you straight on the spot and say, you know, do, do you have, have any particular strong views or ideas or observations around this topic? So... Adam, I think what I'm hearing you ask there is, do I think the quality and professionalism of, of the applications is maturing as much as the projects? Mm. And the short answer is probably not. Mm. Um, and this is the hardest part about the job, um, really. And as a jury chair, I don't vote personally. I conduct a group of fantastic individuals who do the, the heavy lifting. But I do have to do a, a due diligence sweep of the awards and ensure that only the right people make it through. I rephrase that, only the people who actually meet the criteria make it through. Um, and I, I do have to say that it never ceases to astound me, particularly when so many of the people who are applying for awards are from the public sector, uh, never ceases to astound me how badly people follow instructions. You know, if you've ever had a job in the public sector and you've had to apply to selection criteria, this type of thing should be really your bread and butter. But instead, we see repeatedly um, applications that really don't address the selection criteria at all. Um, we see a, a, an alarming number of applications that very simply just put an email address for their PR firm rather than respond to the selection criteria at all. Um, and it does make me wonder if perhaps some of the people are, well, perhaps if it's some people are more familiar with award processes that are beauty contests and they don't really understand that we are sitting there evaluating them against the selection criteria. And it's very difficult because in many instances, some absolutely fantastic projects have just not been doc documented properly at all. Mm. Um, you know, um, I, I can remember instances where we've had awards submitted in draft um, and they just don't get shortlisted. There's, we're just not going to submit them to the jury if they don't complete the awards, if they don't actually complete the application form appropriately. Um, so, yeah, my advice would be twofold. One is to don't assume that you're going to be judged on something that you didn't put in the application. Don't assume the judges are going to go out there and Google your project. And the second is ask for feedback, uh, either at the end of the award or before the awards. Um, go to people and have someone peer review what you're submitting. Um, you know, Adam, we've mentioned it half-heartedly in the past, but if any of your listeners would like to 
have a one-on-one of you know my tips for how to write an award-winning application please get in touch because sometimes you know you might not have done it before and indeed not everybody is from the public sector but it isn't something that takes a lot of effort to write a fantastic application that will really just put you over the finish line Mm. Uh, some sort of great quick tips there and i think when we do our more detailed post-mortem earlier in the new year to look at how we can improve for next year um, there's probably certainly a, a range of things that the council can do to, you know, to help policymakers and and you know supply side potential applicants really, um, you know, d- do their best as well. So we'll certainly we'll certainly look at that. Um, so Meredith, turning, I, w- I want to touch on just probably two other points before we wrap here. Um, one that one that I really want to sort of get your views on um, and more more of an up, upbeat topic this one um, the, the quality of the projects that came through um, we've discussed those you know th- th- there was just greatness in there um, and it was very encouraging to see um, I I think and the smart cities council has been a big advocate and we've been shouting loudly for a long time that you know real true success is not just doing one or two and piloting they're very important but the scaling and replication that's where the dividends really come and i kind of feel i i can sort of start to feel that i feel like it's kind of just around the corner am i from you know based on the quality of 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 what came through this year in the projects am i am i being over ambitious there or overly excited or do you share that maybe i'd love your views on this one Adam, I could not strongly agree more that we're seeing projects at the precinct level and at the state level now at a maturity that we haven't seen before. But what we aren't seeing is states looking over their borders and learning from each other. So if there's a way to scale, it's to have a look at the projects that might be award-winning, even if they're not from your state, and considering how your state might be able to apply them. You know, we have an interesting federation model Um, we've seen some interesting changes to our parliamentary governance system in in the state of crisis Um, and we've seen unprecedented levels of collaboration across jurisdictions during this year and I would love to see that momentum carry forward and I would really love to see people take smart city projects or indeed you know any any projects at the state level and 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 scale those to the national level and not not keep recreating the wheel can i unpick unpack uh a a point amongst your comments there um as you rightly say at a state and and we're just talking about australia at the moment for our listeners so you know seven states and territories across australia um but 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 also new zealand you know with with regional provincial kind of council scale governance as well um you know we're seeing projects sort of coming through in australia at a statewide level or as you say you know precinct level um the new south wales digital twin um you know we're seeing the state of new south wales releasing a smart places strategy where are we what is going on do we think with the connections between local government and state and territory government. It, 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 have you got some 
thoughts and observations as to what's going on there and where do you think some key opportunities might be going forward? Um, look, I do think it's very different in each different state and territory. And a lot of that comes down to the nature of the constituents and the needs of the citizens um, and indeed the, the budget and, and the priority of, of funds. Um, look, I mean, realistically speaking, I think there are some there's always going to be opportunities to collaborate when you have a similar challenge in place. But there are some interesting towns in Australia that obviously span borders. And I think that that's probably the first place that I would start. And I'd have a look at the types of projects that are scaling up and down the East Coast. I'd have a look at projects that are working in the regions internally of you know, inner New South Wales and inner Queensland and, and start connecting the dots a little bit better. We talk about 20-minute cities and we talk about um, you know, uh, increase jobs and productivity, but what are we really doing to connect the regions um, to these types of opportunities? And now that we've seen um, people's work life, work patterns change, um, and we're seeing, you know, property bubbles change in response to that and people moving all up and down the East Coast, I would love to see the opportunity for states and territories to, to collaborate across borders in particular, neighbouring borders and, and regional borders. Yeah, here, here as well. Um, okay, so last last little bit of this, Meredith, before we wrap, I, I suppose just some some sort of final observations, not only of the awards scheme, but I'd love to I'd love to just sort of get get your views on twenty twenty one and going forward. Um, can I can I start by um, getting any final comments from you on the awards scheme um, observations? What came from it? Um, any any final words you'd you'd want to say on that one? I probably just want to say a huge big thank you to everybody who did put an application in, even if you did feel like it was rushed, even if the new process was something slightly different. I think that taking the opportunity to you know acknowledge your own work or indeed to acknowledge a colleague is an act of gratitude that we can't really underplay this year. Um, and I'd probably also really like to say thank you as well to the, the vendors, the, the small innovative startups and SME providers that are out there at the moment in this climate, really trying to engage with government um, in a time that's really difficult to do that. And I, I feel like uh, awards like this help us to better bring the demand on the supply side together to help us to better communicate, better to understand. And if you've had a small business this year and you've struggled through it, in any way, shape or form, and you still put in an application, well, that's something that you should be proud of. Mm. T totally agree and support that comment as well. Um, so final word now, and I want to I kind of get your, just get your views on, on going forward. I mean, you've been in the, the city's space, uh, both here and internationally, you know, for a while now. And um, you know, you, you, you've you've played a significant role, uh, you know, at at you know multiple levels of government, um, shaping policy, building marketplaces, um, you know, promoting and 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 sort of um, selling sort of our nation's expertise and and export opportunities. You know, you're you're, you're kind of you're kind of a great uh, sort of set of eyes um, to sort of look at this idea of building a marketplace when it comes to sort of smart cities. And of course, I'm using, you know, classic smart cities council 
sort of narrative now, as you well know. Um, what, um, what, what are your sort of observations 2021 and beyond based on how we're, we're sort of saying goodbye and, and leaving 2020, you know, the awards, a spring in our step, some final comments for our listeners on this uh, topic, this agenda, this marketplace over the coming years? Yeah, smart cities as a marketplace. Well, look, I think it's becoming BAU, Adam. I mm. think if you're not doing smart cities and you're not doing smart government, then you're probably not really applying digital technology appropriately to governance more broadly. Um, it's it's not a pipe dream. It's it's here. It's now. Um, the question is, what's next? Is it the smart precinct? Is it the smart state, etc.? And I think, you know, when we look towards, when we talk about marketplaces and we look towards 2021, of course, Australia's got a vested interest in ensuring that we have a safe, healthy, vibrant knowledge economy here, um, that our, you know, global major market leaders can not only like, open an office here or base themselves here to, but, you know, also innovate and, and do the R&D here, um, which I think we've done. And I think, I think we have. Uh, the question is just that there's been so much opportunity here within Australia. So I'm excited at the prospect of once we've started to scale properly, can we think a little bit outside of our borders? It doesn't really matter if you're selling to Parramatta or to Perth or to Paris. Really now that COVID's brought us such an exponential, exponential shift in this that we can share our knowledge and indeed scale our markets or scale our ability to commercialise on the work that we're delivering across borders anywhere. So I'd like for Australia to stop recreating the wheel and I'd love to get into a, get ourselves into the situation where our innovative SMEs and technology providers have the, not just the opportunity, but the avenues to be able to collaborate more strongly regionally. Mm, well, I'm not going to argue with you on on those final points, Meredith. Um, Been a, uh, a a fantastic, fascinating um, at times, uh, very sort of diverse journey of a discussion we've just had. Um, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the Chronicles. Um, wanting to wish you a fantastic uh, Christmas and festive season, uh, and uh, look forward to our more detailed postmortem on the awards in the new year. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Adam. Thank you for having me and Merry Christmas. And for our listeners, uh, that was Meredith Hodgman. Uh, Meredith is chair of the Smart Cities Workstream for the Internet of Things Alliance Australia. And of course, also, as she mentioned, uh, the, 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 the sort of joy in her calendar year of uh, being the independent jury of our Australian New Zealand Smart Cities Awards. Uh, for those of you that aren't subscribing to the Chronicles, you can do so. All of those major pod, podcast platforms, uh, you will find us. Just search for the Smart Cities Chronicles. You can also head to our website, smartcitieschronicles.com. You can also send us an email at any time with any feedback or suggestions or ideas. Uh, email us chronicles at anz smartcitiescouncil.com. My name is Adam Beck, host of The Chronicles. Look forward to bringing you some new episodes in the new year. Uh, wishing everyone a great uh, festive season. Stay happy, healthy and optimistic. We'll see you soon.